You're listening to The Tales We Tell, a podcast about spooky stories, unsolved mysteries, and local lore. I'm your host, Hannah Parch. And I'm Katie. Welcome back! (laughs) Oh, great times. Mm -hmm. Welcome back from recording a second ago. Um, and welcome to my full house. My whole family's here. Slash my, uh... Your, I, your legal family. My the legal. in-law family. Yeah. And not even, like, my full, full family. Like, oh. half of them are here. <laughs> as many as can fit on my couch are here. But the baby's here, which is what's important. So, yeah, I guess we should say, if you hear some screaming in the background, it's because... It's not Critter. It's not Critter. It's uh, my family watching the Bills game, which is happening right now. And I we told them they could be a little loud if they wanted. Uh-huh. We made them be quiet for the last episode we recorded. It's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> um, and we were eating brownies also. Mm-hmm. So if you hear that, it's also a feature. I'm hungry. Sorry. And the brownies are good, so. All I had for lunch today was a couple of pierogies, so. Pierogies sound good. Yeah, but I only had three, so. Yeah. Well, yeah. They were very good. I'm so glad that you put the cornal here for me to fondle. <laughs> it's very strange. Um, I kept messing with it during our little short episode. Yeah. Um, which I assume we're going to post here for our other listeners, too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's number two on my announcements. <laughs> Spoilers! <laughs> but I kept messing with the cornal, and I caught myself one of the times, I'm like, oh, I need to stop, because she's going to call me out on it, and then we're going to have to explain, and there's just no time! There's no time! <laughs> there's no time. Maybe what we can do is post the full version of what we just recorded. Alright. And then, um... The 20-minute version. Yeah, the 20-minute version. So, uh, first announcement is that this episode was a listener suggestion. Yes! Thank you! Yeah. So, she gets a shout out. Her name is Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for sending in a suggestion. I We're know. super excited about it. And it made my job very easy. Um, and very hard. Let me tell you why, Sarah. Because I <laughs> read this article that you sent me on Facebook. And I was like, first of all, every paragraph was like, shocking. And I was like, okay, I'm going to cover this. So I get a couple articles in. I was like, okay, all right, I got it. I got it. And then what sometimes happens is that I'm like three or four sources in, I think I've got this thing in the bag. And then I find a source that is like so in depth and so many more details than I didn't know. And I feel like I could spend, like, five weeks just reading it. And I did that. Uh, (laughs) But it was very interesting. And um, I'm a little obsessed with this case now. So thank you, Sarah. This is for you. Secondly, what we were just talking about is if you don't already listen to Hillbilly Horror Stories. What are you doing? What are you doing? But we are going to be featured on their Halloween episode. And we just recorded that uh, little featurette. It's supposed to be 10 minutes. It will be 10 minutes with Jarek's Magic, but we will post the full-length version here, which is 20 minutes, because we obviously can't stop talking. Um, (laughs) 
Uh, we'll, and we'll obviously wait until they post it. So it'll be at post-Halloween. Hmm. Uh, we'll post that here. Yeah. And then also, this is a Dante-safe episode. Good. I mean, it's not, like, child-safe. Like, don't let your regular kids listen to it. But Dante <laughs> totally can Dante. listen. And that, so, not really any uh, trigger warnings or anything, so. I also like that whenever you make something a Dante-safe episode, mm-hmm. it, it's like a trigger to me to try to rein in my swearing. <laughs> yeah. And it's mean, also... They say that, you know, someone who curses a lot, it, it's a sign of intelligence. It is. Yeah. So, I don't worry about it too much. Well, the, most of the cursing... That's, the cursing that stays in, I don't think, is anything that Dante hasn't heard. So, yeah. Stephanie can can confirm or deny that, but I think we cut out the bad stuff. <laughs> She's here right now. She is. We can confirm or deny right after this. I promised you a thorough dossier, so you may pick that up. It looks thick. I know. And you may actually look at your first oh picture. Gosh. I don't even know what we're talking about. I already I get to know. open the dossier. Oh, I just... Okay. All right. Sorry. So. Oh, that hair. I know. So and we're... Then that, like, semi-sunglass glasses. Can we appreciate just the first picture, mm-hmm. that portrait style, where she's also in the background of her own portrait? I love it. It's hard to see in this... Light. Oh, there it is. Yeah. There she is. Yeah. She's back there watching mm-hmm. in the distance. Don't worry. She's watching her own back. It makes me think of, like, a still from, like, an 80s music video. <laughs> where, like, there's something going on, but then there's, like, the shadow of the profile of the person still singing. I want to bring back that style of portraiture. Where you take a nice portrait. I want to bring back that hairstyle. You can. It's called a perm that you brush out. <laughs> okay. I want to bring back the Farah because my hair is so fine and light mm. that I could actually pull it off. I was going to say, I've seen TikTok trends where you do it you just put a bunch of big rollers in your bangs and part it in the middle and you do that head flip thing a million times hmm. i think my hair during one cut that i had it would just kind of do it on its own Ooh. i would have to you know blow dry the bangs just a little bit mm-hmm. but for the most part natural farah you're very I am feeling myself today. I can tell. It must be the brownies. It must be. Okay. Well, this is Mickey Joe West, as I have labeled it for you, clearly. So, Mickey was born on September 24th, 1959. Her maiden name is Locke, with an E at the end. And she was born in, I'm going to pronounce it Atkinson County, Kansas. She was known as very outgoing and friendly, someone who could, quote, always make a bad situation into a good one. And she was married to Calvin West, and Calvin's sister, Ruth, was her best friend. So she's best friends with her sister-in-law, which I think is very sweet. The story takes place mostly in St. Joseph, Missouri, and I'm not super sure when like the families moved there but it's like home base for everyone so at some point everyone ends up in St. Joseph so I'm just throwing that out there so this is Mickey and Ruth is her best friend I don't have a picture of Ruth so just imagine her so Ruth has a relationship with a man 
Um, <laughs> Inspiring a whole lot of confidence here. Well, I said interesting relationship, but I don't think interesting is the word. So she had met a man named Marvin Lee Irvin. You may look at your second picture. She met Marvin when she was 15 and he was 25. This photo and that statement also do not inspire much confidence. Yeah. So, 1974 is when they first got together. Again, Ruth is 15. Ruth gets pregnant pretty immediately and has a little boy with Marvin. And they stay together. And by 1979, they decide that they want to get married. And they want to be non-traditional, according to the label. What? Oh. Wait, what? Oh, yeah, I did mess that up. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, my comment about being non-traditional is uh, he's labeled as Marvin Lee West. That's incorrect. I'm sorry. (laughs) He stays as Marvin Urban. Yes, he stays as Marvin Lee Urban. So, in March of 1979, Ruth, Calvin, and Mickey all drive to California together, and Marvin is following them in a separate car. The plan was for the four of them to relocate to California and all find jobs. While they're down there, Ruth and Marvin get married in Ventura, California. But Where's the kid? Um, he's with them. Okay. Yeah. But by the summer, they had all moved back to St. Joseph. So I think the assumption is just that job the jobs didn't work out. Something didn't work out. And Ruth would later say that her relationship with Marvin w- had been very physically abusive from the start. And by August of 1979, which was just five months after their wedding, she had left him. Which, good for her, we're very happy. Yep, but also not a shock that, I mean, she was 15. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, she took their son, who at this point is four. Um, Okay, because I was going to start, I was going to ask, because I couldn't remember dates and do math and everything. Yeah. Because I know that their relationship started when she was 15, but they got married later on. And I know that... To get married under a certain age in certain states, you basically need parental permission. Yeah. No, she's 19 at this point. Okay. Um, so she's 19. Their kid is four. She finally leaves him. Yes. So her and Mickey are both 19. The child is four, and she leaves and, like, goes into hiding, basically. Um, and she ends up at a motel in Elwood, Kansas, and she only tells a handful of people that she trusts where she is. And one of those people is obviously her best friend, Mickey. So that is August of 79. So on September 11th of 1979, Mickey is going to work. Mickey works at a local, I'm going to say psychiatric hospital, as a nurse's aide. And she leaves her parents' house at 6 a.m. and walks the four blocks to the bus stop where she's going to catch the bus to the hospital. That evening, her mother receives a phone call from the hospital asking why Mickey never showed up to work. So her mom, of course, is pretty frantic and starts looking for her. She is able to contact 
Ruth, who surprisingly is back in town. And Ruth is like... I'm very confused. I'll get there. Don't worry. So Ruth is like, you should look into Marvin. He's probably involved. Because earlier that day, Marvin had somehow magically found Ruth and their son in Elwood. He had shown up at the motel with two friends, kicked down the door, and essentially kidnapped her and brought her back to St. Joseph. Ruth had managed to get away. sound like essentially. It sounds like that's just what it was. Yeah. Like, one description I read was like, they carried her screaming and forced her into a car, which I'm like, I mean, okay, it's a seedy motel. But also, how does that not attract any attention? Like, no one was like, hey, cops. Like, I just saw three guys carry a screaming woman and a child and put them in a car. I mean, 1970s or 2020s, unfortunately, yeah, if she was in a seedy motel, it probably was in a part of town where... People don't see police officers as yeah. friendly and helpful. Yeah. And so they're not going to call police to come get involved, especially they're going to mind their own business. Yeah. Like, number one, mind their own business. Yeah. And then number two, they're not going to see, you know, like the stuff that I grew up with in kindergarten. If you're ever lost or afraid, go see a police find officer. A police officer. A friendly police officer will help you out. Yeah. No, that yeah. is. Yep. That's not everyone's perception of the world. So, Ruth had been able to escape um, by climbing out of a window, getting somewhere where she was able to call the police. Here's a fun fact no kidnapping charges were ever filed against Marvin for that incident. So, <sighs> Just the first in many series of charges not being filed against him. And I'm assuming, <clears throat> you know, I guess hopefully he wasn't abusive to their child, or at least not too bad, to where yeah. she felt comfortable enough escaping on her own. Like, she felt that he probably wasn't going to hurt their child. Yeah. I get the impression that she eventually ends up getting the child, mm-hmm. because Marvin, I think, ends up moving around a lot. And it doesn't seem like a child or something that would go with his lifestyle. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I know that, you know, in, in some instances of domestic abuse. Yeah. The, the child is safe. In other instances, the child is fair game. They're yeah. just as much of a punching bag yeah. as the partner. So. Yeah. Marvin had also been harassing Mickey in the days. Yeah, sorry. Anymore. Uh, He had been harassing Mickey in the days leading up to her disappearance. He knew that she knew where Ruth was. So he was trying to intimidate her into telling him. He had come to her parents' house one time and demanded that she tell him where Ruth was. And her mom had even given her a hammer to keep in her purse. Um, I mean, I guess if that's all you got, a hammer... I mean, yeah, sure. Rapunzel had a frying pan. But that stuff will weigh you down. You need lightweight weaponry. It's like a hammer's... I don't know. If you, if you need if... to run, you need to run. That's true. You don't need to be carrying... I mean, you could also put a brick in your purse and then just swing the whole purse. Right. That's true. That's... I mean, whatever does the trick. 
Mickey had told her mother also recently that she was afraid of Marvin. So, like, all signs are pointing to Marvin. Definite person of interest in this point. Yes. Mickey's parents reported her missing pretty much as soon as possible. I think they, it was like 12 a.m. the following day, and they reported her missing. Um, And they obviously told police all of these things. Mm Mm-hmm. Ruth gave uh, police permission to search the home that I think she and Marvin technically shared together, but they didn't find any evidence to suggest Mickey had been there. They did track Marvin down and brought him in for questioning. So he admitted to harassing Mickey, although he probably didn't say it like that. He was probably Mm -hmm. like, oh, I just asked her questions. Um, He denied knowing anything about her disappearance. His alibi was that he had been driving around with his friend Billy Hayes that morning. And they gave him a polygraph test, which we all know how Mm -hmm. great those are. Some sources say that he passed the test. Some sources say it was inconclusive. But it was enough to convince police that they needed to look elsewhere. So they're like, oh, he has an alibi. And, like, his polygraph was like, okay. Or he's an abusive <laughs> dick weasel and has been, has zero conscious about yeah. hitting his wife, maybe his child, we don't know. Yeah. But yeah, abusing his wife, no conscious about it, kidnapping her. Yeah, also, like... No conscious about harassing another woman and frightening her. Also, I mean, like, we're not even talking, like, not even counting the fact that, like, they could just stand there and, like, look at his child and do some quick math and be like... I'm pretty sure it's statutory rape what you did to conceive this, you know, like... Eh, but statute of limitations also, I... Because he, I didn't even mention this, he had, right before he met Ruth, when she was 15, he had previously gotten in trouble for sleeping with a 15-year-old girl. Because you can't do that when you're 25. I don't don't know if anyone knows that. When you're 25, you can't sleep with, like, underage teenagers. It's not, it's, it's against the law. (sighs) So, police were like, it's probably not him, I guess. So, let's look at someone else. So (laughs) frustrating. Get ready. This is why I brought brownies. This is a frustrating case. Well, I just feel like with polygaphs, I would love to take one. With what? Polygaphs? Polygraphs. Polygaphs. I had a day. Okay. (laughs) I feel, I would love to take one because I feel like I could fail one if they're questioning me, even about something that's not a crime. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like I could also pass one about something that I have done. I mean, take me off of my, like, antidepressants and, you know, give me a trigger and I would fail one every day. Keep me on my antidepressants. Maybe give me a little bit of weed. and like, I would pass one every single day. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, I don't know. I, I went through, uh a phase when I was younger, this was part of my, like, acting out phase, probably as, like, a result of, you know, the death of my mother at a young age thing. When you I don't know. driving around on dark roads and turning your headlights off? No. <laughs> I'm okay. imagining you doing that, by the way. I realize this was in, like, an episode we haven't released yet. But I'm imagining you doing this on, like, I know you said you only did it on, like, straight roads that you were, like, very, very familiar, familiar with. with. I'm imagining you doing it on, like, winding mountain roads. No. No, these were straight roads. Can't convince me otherwise. No one else was around. 
So I made sure that there wasn't any cars that I was going to freak out by turning off and on. And it was literally off and on. I think you Um, are the origin of some kind of urban legend out there. Maybe. (laughs) Sorry, go Um, ahead. But, you know, I went through a phase where I was a bit of a pathological liar. I would lie about anything and everything. But only to my dad. (laughs) For example, what kinds of things did you lie about? Um, oh, the the thing that he did that pissed me off. Mm. Um, before going from middle school to high school, um, they wanted me to take, like, basically, it wasn't summer school, but it was summer school. (laughs) I think it was for English, because I hated grammar, um, and also I had undiagnosed ADHD. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't do, like... If I didn't like the class, or especially if I didn't like the teacher, I didn't do well in the class. Right. But they had it for English and math, and I did fine in math. But my dad signed me up to go ahead and do the math anyway, because, you know, I was there, might as well do the math. Also, it was a way of him, like, not having to deal with me all day for several weeks in the summer, and he just, like, could drop me off, and he could go to work, and then pick me up later, and he didn't have to worry about anything. But I was livid. <laughs> and um, because I was like, I did fine in math. <laughs> mad because math was one of the few subjects I was actually good at. Right. <laughs> Regardless of whether I liked it or I liked the teacher. But I think I skipped class one day. Because mm. just double. you going to tell me you skipped the whole thing. Just double middle fingers. I'm livid about being here um i don't i don't need to be here i don't deserve this this is garbage and then my dad picked me up and asked me about school and <laughs> how this going how that and i was just like yeah no and he's like and so uh went to math today and i was like absolutely i did nice and then uh, asked me a few more questions he's like so then why did i get a call from your school <laughs> saying that you were in class and i'm like all right because i didn't go because I don't need to go. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, so, yeah. Cool. I'd lie about, like, yeah, I did my homework, but I didn't do my homework. Did you always get caught with your lies? A lot of them, but oh. not... Not... Like, it was only when he already knew the answer. Oh, okay. Uh, I think every now and then he'd catch me afterward, because maybe I forgot about something, or something. Mm. things just didn't add up, but... I'm trying to figure out if that makes you, like scarier or just like a dumb liar both i don't know i don't know (laughs) oh my gosh well well it's like that episode of psych where henry's teaching sean how to pass polygraph you have to believe the lie you didn't believe your lies though you just didn't care (laughs) i i believed my lies just fine my my dad just kind of knew better because he already knew the answer. <laughs> it was really it was it was entrapment is what it was. Uh huh. Sure, 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 sure. Katie's dad, call in with uh, your comments, please. Oh, I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> oh, I'm sure his blood pressure is going up a few notches just oh remembering gosh. this time in my life. <laughs> and it was seriously, it was only for like it was just around eighth grade, and mm. I think it was just my whole acting out phase because I didn't act out that much otherwise but for like several months to a year maybe I would just lie 
I hit that phase in like sixth grade. It was awful. I don't think I lied that much. I was just like a little. It was. It was honestly. It was mostly. Did you do your homework? Yes, but I didn't. It was mostly about school. Yeah. Because I wasn't doing other bad things. I wasn't like sneaking out of the house. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't going to parties. Oh yeah, yeah, drunk. I wasn't fifteen-year-old having a relationship with a twenty-five-year-old. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, anyhow. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So police are now deciding to look at Calvin West. So Mickey's husband. They looked at him because... Is he also living at Mickey's mom's house? No. Because he and Mickey had recently separated. Okay. Which does make a little bit more sense why they would look at him. According to Mickey's mother, one of the reasons they had separated is because Calvin had threatened to throw Mickey down the stairs. Which is not a good thing to say to anyone, but especially not a good thing to say to your wife before she goes missing. Mm-hmm. Um, Calvin did have an alibi, though. He was at work. And at 6 a.m., I don't know what he was doing, but... I guess he was at work. He also passed a polygraph. People work at 6 a.m. I know. I'm just trying to... I don't know what kind of job he has. What time does Jarrett go into work? Well, now he goes in at 8. He used to go in at 4. Yeah. I know. So he also passed a polygraph, and so police were like, I guess... Couldn't possibly be him. (laughs) I guess we're out of suspects now. So Mickey's parents put up a reward. They offered Mm $10,000. Um... And despite that, uh, all of the leads that police had ran cold. So the case seemed to be cold until seven years later. Dossier time. Dossier time. Not yet. You have to wait a second. A letter was discovered at the Oak Park Mall in Overland Park, Kansas, which was about 75 miles from where Mickey had disappeared. Okay, you may look. It was addressed to the St. Joseph Police. It was written on green stenographer paper and put in a white envelope. And it was written in, like, a shaky handwriting. Mm-hmm. To me, it looks almost like someone's trying to write with their non-dominant hand. Or someone with, like, Parkinson's. Yeah. <laughs> It Um, is real shaky. Do you want to try to read it? Yes. Okay, go for it. To police. Also, I'll get to that later. Okay. I saw Marvin Irvin kill Mickey West in St... Was it? Joe. Joe. St. Joe? Mm Mm-hmm. Missouri. Okay, I was like, ah, that one I I can't figure (laughs) out. Uh, I want to tell because I can't sleep. I want to get it over with or I will kill myself... He hide her body so no one find it. Yes. There is some punctuation, but all of the I this, I that Mm -hmm. is lowercase I, not capital I. (laughs) There's some punctuation, but I feel like none of it's correct. It looks like there's a comma there, but I think that's the dotting the I and kill. Yeah, it's rough. 
So it's unsigned. Yeah, there's no capital letters except for the capital T on two Mm -hmm. and the capital P on police. Yes. Oh, and the M and the I in Marvin Urban. Yeah. And Mickey and West. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I was mostly looking at the beginning of sentences. That's okay. It's a weird letter. So no one sees who left it. It's not signed. It just, like... Shows up in this mall, and so police get it, and they're like, oh, I guess maybe we should look at Marvin Irvin again. And they're like, oh, you know what we didn't do? We didn't check his fucking alibi. So maybe we should do that seven years later. Because his alibi of driving around with his buddy is going to remember for sure that specific day. So they literally call up Billy Hayes, who was his alibi, and Billy was like, no, I wasn't with Marvin Irvin that day. He was probably like, I've never done that before in my entire life. I don't know what you're talking about. I feel like that would be like if some person that I'm like marginally acquainted with was like, yeah, I was riding around with Hannah that day. I'd be like, I don't do that. What What do you mean riding around with us? Well, that would be the equivalent of you or I saying that we were riding around with each other. Yeah. That's not a That's thing, not that we a thing we do. <laughs> I feel like, uh... No, our, our friendship exists in like... <laughs> very certain like worlds and roles and I don't even like- think we've ever been in a car together have we I feel like surely there's been like one incident or another where unless we were in the car that New Year's Eve where I blacked out and I don't remember it <laughs> but uh yeah so I think you're right I don't think we've ever, been in, we've ever been in a car together we'll change that Let's go ride around together one day. (laughs) For an alibi. Just for an alibi. (laughs) That Uh, way it's technically true. There we go. I was riding around. I just can't remember the exact day. What was that one time? What day was it? It was probably around the time you're asking me about. (laughs) Seven years ago. Seven years ago. Billy Hayes is like, that never happened. And so they bring Marvin in again. They're like, hey, Marvin, um, your alibi from seven years didn't check out. You want to try again? And Marvin was like, oh, okay, well, I still wasn't involved in Mickey's disappearance. And the and police are just like, okay. Okay, well, we don't have anything to hold you, so I guess, That's like, true. you're a shitty person, but I guess you can go. So this was September 11th of 86, so it's the seven-year anniversary of the day Mickey disappeared and then the note showed up. Which is intriguing yes yes on october 2nd a second note shows up at the same mall and yes you have a picture of that <laughs> i got you as many pictures of the notes as i could find Woo-hoo. oh the notes as in the oh sorry spoiler <laughs> so uh same stationery same handwriting you can read that one if you would like to try. It's a little less shaky. Yeah, it is less shaky. Alright, so it gets a little, like, faded down at the bottom. To police. Please help me out. I want to tell you I saw Marvin Irvin kill Mickey Joe West in St. Joe, Missouri. Uh, we be together, but 
I didn't kill her. He did. He went ooh, crazy uh -huh. and beat her bad. Uh, something, then he... Something says, then he cry. That, that's what it looks like. It's then he cry. I will kill myself if what you don't help me. Yes. Uh, things to note. Mm hmm. The I this, I that. Mm hmm. All capital this time. Yeah, he's very inconsistent. Or she. They. <laughs> Um, still no punctuation, it looks like, really. Yeah, it's hard to, like... I mean, this is a picture of a photocopy, it looks like. This is true. And I'll include these pictures. I had to, I had to, like, screenshot them and crop them. And then, like, scan them. <laughs> and then cut them out for you, the whole thing. Well, you can actually go ahead and look at your next picture. Alright. Because seven weeks later, which I believe we're now in mid-November. Ooh, there's two notes on this one. So, three more letters surfaced. I only have two. This time, we're, they surfaced in St. Joseph, Missouri. And these are addressed to St. Joe police. Yes. So, the redacted parts we'll get to. They just say Marvin's name. Okay. So, they found one note at a truck stop, two at a shopping mall. And they were, again, the same. They were all written on the same kind of stationery. If you would like to try to read them, you can. Uh, to St. Joe Police. When I was with... Redacted. Mm -hmm. He kill Mickey Joe West. Uh, I didn't... I want you to know about it. I can't stand it anymore. I will die. Uh, and the other note says, To St. Joe Police. Redacted kill mickey west when i was with him i didn't do it i feel bad and want to die kill myself he hide her body i want you to help me now yeah so <laughs> all of these between the handwriting and the lack of punctuation the mm -hmm. the poor grammar it, just all of it it points to someone either very uneducated right or a child. Right. Or someone with, uh, you know, like, a mental illness or uh, a mental... What's the word I'm looking for? Like a deficiency? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, not a mental illness, but <sighs> yeah. a deficiency. Yeah. yeah. A so, developmental deficiency. Yeah, yeah, That yeah. works. I assume, although I did not see this anywhere, and maybe I shouldn't assume this, I assume that they were checking these letters for, like, fingerprints, at the very least. Uh, and that they weren't finding anything. Mm -hmm. Even though these letters are, like, clearly naming Marvin as the killer, obviously this doesn't count as, like, evidence that you can use for, like, an arrest warrant. Because right. it's just hearsay. The police did bring in an FBI behavior science profiler to look at the letters. And they determined that they were genuine. They were not a hoax. Um, they said that the author was likely someone who was already known to police. Someone who had an interest or a motive to bring attention to the case. And someone who um, obviously knew 
uh, the anniversary of the crime and that it like had meaning to that person. And so police decided that they needed to re-interview everyone involved in the case and they decided that they would not make the letters public unless it was absolutely necessary because they wanted to like keep that to themselves. And they also wanted to keep any potential future letters genuine, not copycats, I would imagine. Yes. So, first person they interviewed. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, prime, prime suspect for letter writer, Mickey's dad. (laughs) Their reasons for interviewing him, literally, uh, were he lived in Kansas City at the time And he had been critical of the way police had handled the case from the beginning, which me too. Yeah. And he had complained frequently about the police and often contacted the local news to, like, trash talk them, basically. So basically, police were mad at him. (laughs) They just wanted to get a little payback. And it's like... Obviously, he didn't write the letters claiming that he had been there when his daughter was murdered, you dick faces. On one hand, I do understand why they would look at, like, non-obvious people. Because, you know, with the the bad handwriting, the Mm -hmm. poor grammar, like, that could be the obvious misdirection there. Yeah, yeah. Like, making you think it's someone who is uneducated or mental deficiency or yeah. what have you. Yeah. Just to, you know, get people's attention. Yeah. That's true. But still, that to me feels very much like the, uh, accusing the, uh, the, the dead father of, mm-hmm. of murdering the family. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> not quite on par, but definitely close. Yeah. They went back and they re-interviewed Billy, um, the, the alibi. Um, who was not driving around. Mm -hmm. Um, He was super cooperative, but he denied writing the letters, uh, but he also failed a polygraph, and so police were like, we're still very suspicious. (laughs) And poor Billy was like... He's probably just nervous, like, what the hell has (laughs) Marvin dragged me into by just mentioning my name? And Billy's also like, polygraphs don't mean anything. Yeah. And so finally, police were able to track down Marvin again. He's now in Jefferson, Iowa. Officers that interviewed him described him as, quote, intelligent, well-spoken, and sincere in his profession of innocence. He claimed that he had heard gossip around town about where Ruth had been hiding, and it had just been dumb luck that he had found her. Which, what the f***? He admitted that he had paid some friends 10 or 20 bucks to help him get her. I should have looked up what 10 or $20 was worth in 1979 because that's not enough to help me kidnap your ex-wife. No, it's, it's probably not much more than today. <laughs> but still, I'm like, you got to pay me a lot more to commit a crime. He claimed that he had seen Mickey, uh, the last time he'd seen her was a few days before uh, she disappeared when he had asked her about Ruth. So... Police were like, okay, I guess you're telling the truth. So on September 11th of 1987, police held a press conference and decided to publicize the notes. So that's now eight years later. Yes. And so that's where the notes that you had with the names redacted. Mm -hmm. Those were the, that's how they published them. They just redacted Marvin's name. 
They also set up another interview with Billy, but no one came forward with information about the letters, and Billy Hayes never showed up for his interview. He was like... He's probably like, I'm just tired of this. (laughs) He was like, I'm going to leave for a little bit. In January of 1988, letters began showing up again. I don't have pictures of these, sorry. But this time, instead of the shaky, messy handwriting, they were in stenciled lettering. Hmm. And I swear I had the same stencil when I was little. (laughs) Like, they... Mom, you should look for it. I'm pretty sure it's in the uh, wardrobe in the den in that yellow uh, case with all the other stencils. They were still written on the green stenographer paper. This time they were addressed to both police and local TV stations. And in September, one of the letters was personally sent to a TV reporter named Thurman Mitchell. And in it... The author offered to take Thurman to Mickey's body if he came alone. He also claimed that uh, he wasn't interested in the reward money. Again, stated that he had not been involved in the crime, but that he just needed help. And Thurman, (laughs) which, like, what do you do if you get that letter? Because you're like, you didn't leave me, like, a number to call. Like... (laughs) Yeah, like, how do I get in touch with you to let you know if I'm down or not? Um, So Thurman, like, did, I guess, the best he could and set up a hotline at the TV station. And then I assume he, like, made some kind of announcement and was like... I received a letter offering this. Yeah, like, if you're the person, and only if you're the person who sent the letter, call this number. The line was open all weekend, but they didn't get any information about like how to reach him a total of five stenciled letters were received and only one of them appeared to be signed and it was signed with the letters m i k m j w so (laughs) there's a investigator who had been working on the case since the beginning his name is sergeant tim schweeter or sweater cool And he read that, and he immediately interpreted it as standing for Marvin Irvin killed Mickey Joe West. And he said as soon as he read that, he believed that the letter writer was toying with them rather than trying to help them. Which, like, kind of makes sense. Yeah. Because, like, they're not offering them any... Yeah, no. Useful information. They're just saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Like, you could draw some map, man. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> tell us where. Okay. In 1988. I promise it's gonna... <laughs> we're getting somewhere. Okay. In 1988, Jefferson, uh, um, Iowa. Sorry, Jefferson, Iowa. We're all over the map here. Not really. We're just in a little circle of states. Jefferson police contacted Sergeant Schwetter to let him know that Marvin had been arrested. And the reason he was arrested is because he had pulled a gun on his girlfriend. Um, We're going to call her Tammy. This is where I almost made you a flannel graph. (laughs) So he pulled a gun on his girlfriend. She called police. And then Marvin led police on a high-speed chase. And then he resisted arrest. And then during the resisting of arrest he ended up having his front teeth broken by 
like a nightstick. It was a whole thing. Would have made a great episode of Cops. Probably. When Iowa police questioned Tammy, she told them that Marvin had bragged on more than one occasion about having killed a woman in St. Joseph. She said the woman had been related to his ex-wife in some way. She was buried in a cornfield. And that he would tell her that she would end up the same way. Like, if she wasn't careful. And so that's why they called St. Joseph Police. Yeah. So, St. Joseph Police go to Iowa. They're like, okay, which cornfield? We have a few. There's so many of them. So, the Missouri Police get to Tammy and they're like, tell us more about this cornfield. So, she says that Marvin had killed multiple women. Which I'm like, Tammy, why are you with him, girl? I mean, I get not Sorry, that, that came out more accusatory than... I meant it too, but whew, yeah, yikes! But but for real though, why are you with why why? Yeah, let's leave him while he's in jail this time. She says that his girlfriend at the time, uh, meaning at the time of Mickey's disappearance, mm-hmm. uh, because he, spoiler alert, did have multiple girlfriends while he was married to Ruth. I believe it. Uh, not not a shocker to anyone. His girlfriend at the time had helped him bury the body. She didn't know the names or the locations of the other women that he had allegedly killed, but she knew someone who might know more information. One of his ex-wives, who I have named Amy. So, police find Amy. Amy was originally from St. Joseph. She had been dating Marvin when he was married to Ruth. Amy had been... 16 at the time, which, like, I just want to say to everyone, like, if you're not looking at the pictures, Marvin is not that good looking of a guy. Mm -mm. I don't know how charming he must have been to be grooming so many teenagers. Or he must have just, like, picked really well the teenagers that, I guess, were just most susceptible to this. Sometimes you look at men and you're just like, how, uh, yeah. you're not, it's, how the, did you get her? Just the personality is not even, I cannot imagine his personality is, is that, that can, anyways. <sighs> All right. So. Especially with physical abuse, like. I know. You've got to be hella charming. Good grief. To combat that, right? I don't know. I've never been in an abusive relationship. I don't know. I don't know. So, let's see. Amy, 16-year-old Amy, she said uh, a few days after Mickey disappeared, Marvin had come to her very excited, and he told her that he had followed Mickey to the bus stop alone and confronted her. At some point, he had hit her and then put her semi-conscious body in his car. He had forced her to tell him where Ruth was, and then he killed her. Um, And then he had some friends help him bury the body in a cornfield near White Cloud, Kansas. Hopefully for more than $10 to $20. Hopefully for more than $10 to $20. I don't really mean that. Spoiler alert, I don't think he actually paid the person, because, spoiler alert, we are going to find that out. All right. So, police finally have a witness... 
that heard Marvin confess. <laughs> but unfortunately, that is also not enough to press charges. Nope. So thankfully, Marvin goes to jail for a year for assaulting Tammy. Um, and when he gets out, he ends up back in St. Joseph. <laughs> so it's now 1990. Yours truly is born. In August, a TV station receives an anonymous letter in the mail. You may check your dossier. Because I think I wrote it correctly on there. It's either Channel 2 or Channel 12. Yeah. Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> Channel 12. Channel 12. So this one is stenciled. Okay. Would you like to read it? Um, <clears throat> lowercase i. Uh, I seen Marvin Irvin, capital I, kill Mickey Joe West. He hide her body. They... Two other bones, heads there to dead people. If I tell, I will get killed. Uh, please understand, I can't come out. Yeah, this one makes less sense, I feel like. But there's periods. There's punctuation. Yeah, I feel like between bones and heads, that's supposed to be like a dash, maybe? Like, there's other bones. Heads! I don't know. Yeah. But the general gist is, I know something, but if I come forward, like, I'm the only one that knows, yeah. if I come forward, I'm going to be in danger. Yeah. Uh, this is a burial ground, not, yes. not just a singular grave. Yes. So, uh, they obviously assumed it's the same author, but now police are under the assumption since the last letters that this person is not trying to help them, but again, just kind of, kind of playing with them, not really being helpful. Yeah. So on Labor Day weekend of that same year, so a couple weeks later, a woman named Patricia Rose, who was in her twenties and a brunette, Went to the Blue Town Tavern in St. Joseph, Missouri. No one remembered seeing her leave. And a few days later, her family reported her missing. And then on Halloween weekend, a woman named Crystal Simmons, also a brunette in her 20s, went to the J&J bar in St. Joseph. The bartender saw her leave with a black man that was missing his two front teeth. A few days later, she was reported missing by family. So police pretty quickly linked the two disappearances um, and opened a singular investigation. They were alerted by a local prison of a letter that had been confiscated that might be relevant. And it was from Marvin Irvin's sister to their brother who was in prison. It was written two days after Crystal's disappearance, and it describes Marvin coming home bloody and giving his wife a bloody watch. Police re-interviewed the bartender who saw Crystal leave, and he admitted that he actually did recognize the man she left with, aka the man missing his two front teeth. Which again, how charming do you have to be to be missing your front teeth? And, and still, pick still up be women. picking up women at the bar. He did recognize that as Marvin Irvin and had just been afraid to, like, name him. 
And then another letter that had gotten past prison censors but came up in the investigation. Because I guess at this point now they're like, hey, Marvin's brother, we need to see every letter your sister's written you in the last, like, several months. Uh, So this one was written a few days after Patricia's disappearance, also by his sister. Marvin had shown up at her house at 3 a.m., asked to borrow a shovel, and told her... He had made a mistake, and that mistake was in his trunk. Mm-hmm. Which, like, claps for Marvin's sister for just, like, documenting all the crimes and then sending them to, like, a prison where they're for sure recorded. But good grief. That, thankfully, is finally enough evidence for police. And on Thursday, November 8th, 1990, local police, highway patrol... FBI and a SWAT team broke down the door. That freaking cavalry. I know. Broke down the door of Marvin Irvin's home at 5 a.m., pulled him out of bed, and arrested him. You have one more picture in your dossier. They found bloody clothing and jewelry belonging to the victims in the home. And they also found a hammer on his bedside table. I see. And that was the murder weapon. Just on his bedside table, just chilling next to his speed stick deodorant. Just the hammer he used to murder at least two women. Baby oil, yeah, like and baby powder. Put that (gasps) in your toolbox at least, man. Like, no, he needs access to it. And like he was there, like he was sleeping in bed with like his new girlfriend, and like the murder weapons just laying next to him, in case he just needs to like murder her. So Marvin refused to cooperate, um, but they had enough to charge him with two counts of murder. So they're, like, going to work on this two counts of murder, putting all that together. So that was Thursday. On Sunday, November 11th, the police, St. Joseph police, receive a phone call from the Donovan County, Kansas Sheriff's Department. They say that some local hunters had found a fresh skull in a cornfield near White Cloud, Kansas. It had been dug up by coyotes and it showed signs of fatal blows to the head. So 60 people, including officers from both Missouri and Kansas, plus cadaver dogs, went and searched the fields for hours. Eventually, they uncovered the skeletal remains of Patricia Cross in a shallow grave. Um, And it turned out that the skull belonged to her. Um, And then later in the day, when an officer went into the woods to relieve himself, he stumbled upon the body of Crystal Simmons, also in a shallow grave and still very much recognizable because I believe it was like exactly two weeks since she'd gone missing. Autopsies on both women confirmed that they had been killed by blows to the head with a hammer. I will say that the police do kind of redeem themselves from all of their incompetence because after they, like, have Marvin for this, they still wanted to connect him to Mickey. Uh So. I mean, make sure you can nail it, like, charge him and nail him for these crimes. Yes. Then go after the, the tougher things. Yes. So, on Thanksgiving weekend, Schwender uh, was able to track down the girlfriend that Tammy had named... I know. I'm telling you, this is why we need the flannel Amy? graph. No. Oh. This, this, 
the other one. Okay. Uh, so Tammy had named another girlfriend. He had two girlfriends at the time that he was with, that he was married to Ruth. Amy was one that he eventually married. And then Sandra is... Okay. Sorry, I named her Sandra. And this is the one that allegedly helped him bury the body. So they tracked down Sandra and she agreed to talk to police in exchange for full immunity, Mm -hmm. which was granted. And then she went on to tell them a very chilling story about how Marvin had come to her and told her he had killed Mickey and needed help. She agreed to help him because she was scared. I don't know how old she was. I don't know. Probably 15. That's his type. (laughs) That's his age range. Um... As they drove the body across the Missouri River, she says she thought or imagined that the wrapped up body said, help me. Um, When they got to the cornfield, she helped carry the body out to where Marvin wanted to bury it. And before they buried it, Marvin took out his shotgun and shot Mickey twice just to make sure she was dead. Based on her statement, police were able to charge Marvin with the kidnapping and murder of Mickey Joe West. In 1991, Marvin agreed to a deal where part of the deal was he was going to show police where he buried Mickey and plead guilty in order to avoid the death penalty. So he took police to the cornfield near White Cloud and pointed out an area near where Patricia had been found. And then later that same day, he pled guilty in court to three counts of first degree murder and was sentenced to three terms, three life terms. Plus 300 years without parole. Sergeant Schwender, however... And if only we could make some sort of, like, like life suspension right. thing so that they actually had to. to live through all of that. Yeah, like, because, honestly, like, when you were saying he made a deal to avoid the death penalty, I'm like, no way. That's, that's a great deal for everyone but him. Yeah. Like, Sure, he gets to live, but there's no way he's getting parole. He's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. Like, what's the point? Yeah. Also, the death penalty, like, he can do all sorts of appeals. Like, it's it's a costly process actually executing someone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, from the time you were originally sentenced to death yeah. to the time they actually, you know, lights out. Yeah. That's a lot of taxpayer dollars. There. Yeah. Yeah, because almost no one, I think almost no one goes, like, from sentencing to execution without, you know, like, appealing it. Yeah, there's several appeals. There's always something. Yeah. And then the actual process itself is costly, too. Yeah. (sighs) It's a very messed up situation. (laughs) Um, Sergeant Schwender said that he didn't believe Marvin was telling the truth about where Mickey's body was and that he just enjoyed leading police on like a wild goose chase. Mm -hmm. And his gut turned out to be right because a three day search of the cornfield and a massive excavation turned up nothing. And Mickey's body has never been recovered. Um, And then the author of the notes is also unknown. Although Sergeant Schwinder also has a guess on that. Because two weeks after Marvin's arrest, two Kansas City officers told him about a case from the mid-80s of a brunette woman in her 20s who had been killed. They had been sent a letter 
about a year later in shaky handwriting on green stenographer paper that read, quote, help me, I killed Mickey West and, like, name of their victim. Uh-huh. So Schwender thinks that Marvin was sending notes the whole time just to taunt the police. Yeah. Which fucking <gasps> sucks. <laughs> Marvin Irvin is currently serving his three life sentences plus 300 years at the Jefferson City Correctional Center. And he is technically considered a serial killer. Yeah, because it's more than two. Yep. Um, And that is the story of the disappearance of Mickey Joe West. And it fucking sucks because they never found her body. And fucking Marvin. (laughs) Like, ugh. I'm telling you, ever like I read the first part. I just I I keep picture like that one picture you've got, mm-hmm. and then putting you know missing two front teeth, and then aging him some too yep. because by the time he was actually you know like the last couple of crimes that he committed, mm-hmm. he was not 25 anymore, nope. and he was still getting women. Like yep. he had multiple wives and multiple girlfriends during his multiple wives. Like, what? Yeah. What? How? Yeah. How? Yeah. And, like, that's the thing is, like, I get, I get the whole, you know, like, if you're in an abusive relationship, I, I totally understand yeah. why women don't leave and why they feel like they can't leave. Well, and some, you know, like, that emotional manipulation that's in there, too, especially, like, yeah. part of, like, going after someone who's young, you know, it all starts oh, yeah. out all, like, rosy and, like, I'm actually getting attention. Yeah. It's an older man. Like, I'm special grooming yeah i'm special yeah and then when it turns ugly but i'm special yeah like he doesn't really mean it or then even even if it is like past like once you make it through that denial of like oh no he's a bad person but i'm scared and i don't know how to leave yeah yeah but i'm just saying sketchy dude with no front teeth or two broken front teeth tries to pick you up at a bar come on don't go home with him yeah don't go with anyone you don't know to bar. I'm just going to say that just as a safety issue. <laughs> I know, you know, live your best life and you do you, but don't go home with someone you don't know from a bar for safety. For safety. Mm-hmm. You could end up in a cornfield. And we don't want that for any of y'all. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay, Katie. We're... Unless it's a corn maze and that's fun. <laughs> yeah, but it also... I was you trying know, to be uplifting. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying, but if you if you don't know where you... It, that could also be scary. Corn mazes? I've done haunted corn mazes before. Those are fun, too. Also sounds scary. Designed to get lost in. Yeah. And then scary things jump out at you. Gosh, that sounds terrible. (laughs) I think I agreed drunkenly to go to, like, a haunted trail. And I'm kind of hoping everyone forgot about that. (laughs) Well, if you want to see the pictures from my dossier and these uh, weird notes, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Tales We Tell podcast. And if you want to see these, but you don't do the social media, be sure to check out our website, thetaleswetellpodcast.com. And if you want to support us, get yourself some sweet, sweet swag. We do have that Redbubble store with lots of different logos, like the Murder Cabin, where I just was this weekend. Uh, And you can also become a patron at patreon.com if you still want to support us without needing stuff. But maybe you want some bonus content, some love notes and stickers from us. So, you know, still kind of stuff, but not stuff stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Content stuff. Haunted stuff? It's a content stuff. Content I mean, stuff. we can make it haunted. We could definitely haunt some of the some content stickers. is 
haunted. Let's put a hex on some of our love notes that go out next. Okay. Yeah, sure. Anyways, Everyone. thank you guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.